Take your Bibles and turn with me this evening to 1 John 4. Let us love one another. Throughout 1 John, we've talked quite a bit about love. We have learned about loving God. With 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 saying, Whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So we've learned about loving God. We've learned about what not to love. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And of course, we've talked about loving one another through both positive exhortations and through negative warnings. So that we've read in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, in this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Then skipping to verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because the, uh, we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And today, all of that teaching on love is going to come to a climax in the context of 1 John 4. We are going to seek, very ambitiously in a sense, to walk through the remainder of the chapter in one sermon. That's verses 7 through 21. So we're getting through a chunk this evening, and that's because we have laid this foundation. We've talked through quite a bit. So because we've already talked through quite a bit, uh, I've just got some cleanup work to do as it relates to this. However, you did notice that this is part one, uh, so <laughs> there is a part two coming, but it is not necessarily um, uh, expounding the text. So there's certainly enough here that we could take several weeks on it, but I don't think the strategy would actually profit. So instead, we're going to walk through the concepts. We're going to do so in a bit more of a general way, and then in part two, next week, we're going to finally ask the million-dollar question. When I was teaching through loving the brethren in 1 John 3, I had a person in the church come up to me and say, Pastor, yes, but how? Right? Yes, but how? How is it that we do this? You say love the brethren. That was a stirring message, Pastor, on loving the brethren. I want to love the brethren. What does it look like? That's what we're going to talk about next week. What does loving the brethren Look like Today, however, we walk through this passage, and as we do so, we're going to do it in four parts. In a, in a very real way, I've kind of outlined these last few uh, um, verses for you of, of 1 John 4, and we'll just kind of walk through an outline of what is being said here in the text together. And we begin with verses 7 and 8, and there we're going to learn, first of all, love for the brethren is a natural product of walking in the Spirit. Love for the brethren is a natural product, and take note of that word product, something that is produced in you as you walk in the Spirit. So verses 7 and 8 say this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. We have talked all throughout 1 John about the fact that this epistle is written to bring us into fullness of joy through a personal, through personal fellowship with Jesus Christ. That as we obey Christ's commands, as we confess our sins, we live in consistent fellowship with Christ. And as we live in consistent fellowship with Christ, we are thus walking in the Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And so 
Joy will be produced in our lives as we walk in the Spirit, as we abide in Christ, through keeping Christ's commands, and through confessing our sin. And this is what we find here in verses 7 and 8. When we consider this command, love the brethren, as with all things in the Christian life, this is not a direct set of do's and don'ts. I can't just run down a checklist of things that I do or say or think about And so rest in confidence that I have loved a person sufficiently because of the thing that I've done or the thing that I've said or the things that I've thought about in relation to someone. Going through marriage counseling right now. And every time I go through marriage counseling, it's always such a wonderful reminder to me. But as uh, for, for married couples, you know that this is the case, that love is not just a checklist. You can't open a book that says how to love your spouse, walk down that checklist, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and say, okay, I've loved my spouse now. It doesn't work that way because your spouse is different, right? Your spouse is unique. Your spouse has ways that they interpret love, ways that they understand love, things that they need in order to feel loved. Your spouse has unique desires, unique perspectives, unique needs, and in order to love them, you must fulfill those things uniquely. But what we can definitively say is this, that anyone who is loving the brethren as Christ has called us to will do so as a result of living in the power of the deliverance from sin which Christ has purchased for us on the cross. It will not come from you. Loving the brethren as Christ desires you to love the brethren is not something that you can just conjure up in yourself. You can't just put on your boots, tie them up real tight, and, 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 and get out there and just will yourself to loving the brethren. It doesn't work that way because loving the brethren is a spiritual product. And a spiritual product means it demands a spiritual source. And that spiritual resource source is only one source. And that source is the Spirit of God. So if you want to love the brethren, you must be walking in the Spirit. You must be abiding in Christ through obedience and confession of sin. And conversely, when you or I fail to love the brethren as we ought, what we can know is this, even without having to seek it out. I don't have to uh, climb to the highest hill. I don't have to spend uh, days in prayer and fasting to try and figure this one out. If I am not loving the brethren as I ought, I know this even without having to seek it out. It is that I'm not walking in and living in the spirit as I ought. We're not abiding in the salvation which we have been given through faith. And this helps us in one way in particular, in a way which we have considered in so many contexts of the Christian life. The Christian life is not a life, fundamentally, and listen closely, the Christian life fundamentally is not a life of self-discipline and self-motivation. It's not a life of self-anything, really, with the notable exception, perhaps, of self-denial. The Christian life is not a life fundamentally of self-discipline. It is not fundamentally a life of self-motivation. The Christian life is not about being religious. The Christian life is not about being moral. Those may be natural products of the Christian life, but the Christian life is about being spiritual, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, The spiritual man is a man who walks in the Spirit. As described in 1 John, 
The spiritual man is the man who is born of God. That's what it means to be born of God in 1 John. Remember, we saw that that born of God there was in the perfect tense. The perfect tense is about a past completed action in the Greek with continuing results. The idea behind that concept of a past completed action with continuing results is that we're focusing upon the results. Whether or not the past completed action is there, if you're not living in the results of that action, you're not living out that action. Whosoever is past completed action with continuing results, born of God. Whosoever is living out the reality of their Christian life. This is the one, right? This is the one who is spiritual. When you are living in the results of that which happened to you when you were born again, not living in the carnality from which you have been born out of, but living in the spirituality into which you were born when you accepted Christ as your Savior. Living in the fullness of the new life into which you have been born again. And as we walk in the Spirit... The Spirit of God works in us God's will and God's way. As we walk in the Spirit, our hearts begin to love what God loves and hate what God hates. You found this to be true, right? I've heard it said before that you are the aggregate of the five closest friends that you have. You'll be about the median of your five closest friends. You want to be more ambitious? Find more ambitious friends, right? The idea is that we often kind of become like the people we hang around with, right? You, you might take on some of their perspectives. You might take on some of their, 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 their speech. I remember when I was down in Florida. I hang around some of those Southerners for not too long and I begin to drawl. I don't know why it is. I just started to draw my, uh, when, when I would speak. It's just the way it it is. You get around people that speak that way and you just kind of start speaking that way a little bit. And so you, 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 you do that because the people that are around you influence you. So what happens if you spend time with God? What happens when you start to seek His way? Well, your heart begins to love what God loves and begins to hate what God hates. And as we walk in the Spirit, the love of God cleanses our hearts and begins to manifest itself to others in a love for them. Because God loves them. And they may not be very likable, but God still loves them. And so you start to love them too. And that doesn't mean you necessarily get along, and that doesn't mean you don't have personality conflicts, and that doesn't mean you don't grate or clash from time to time as it relates to some of those things, but in your heart is a deep-seated love for them because you know that God loves them, and you love God, and you want to be like God, and so you love them too. So that the call to love one another is a call to a choice. But the essence of that choice is not so much rooted in determining to get along with or be kind unto or otherwise be nice to the people that are around me, but rather it's a choice to abide in life, to abide in Christ, to abide in truth. And as I'm abiding in truth, that's the choice I'm making. As I'm abiding in Christ, as I'm walking God's way, I am then compelled unto a determined love for other men and women who are likewise followers of Christ because they're my brothers and sisters, because they too are in Christ, because we are a family. And I know that by this determined love for the brethren, I'm actually manifesting a determined love for God, for the God who has both taught me this love and who has exhorted me to show it to others. And so love for the brethren is a natural product of walking in the Spirit. When you're walking in the Spirit, you will find yourself loving the brethren. 
And this leads us right into our second point. Love for the brethren is a natural product of walking in the Spirit. Second, love for the brethren will reflect God's love for us. Verses 9 through 11 says this, 1 John 4. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so love us, we ought also to love one another. How was God's love manifested toward us? In this was manifested the love of God toward us, in that He sent His only begotten Son into the world, that through Him, that would be His death, His sacrifice, His loss, all for our gain, we might be saved. Now, we've talked about these words already. We've talked about propitiation, that idea of covering. We talked about that in 1 John 2, 2. We've talked about the nature of only begotten Son and why that term only begotten Son is an important term that we don't want to lose. It doesn't just mean one and only Son. It speaks to the very nature of the relationship between the Father and the Son through the Son's obedient sacrifice. We're not going to get into those again. But this love that Jesus Christ showed this love that God showed to us through Christ, this love that is the example by, for which we follow in order that we can know how to love the brethren, this love is above all things a selfless endeavor, determining the best good of another even at one's own expense. And in this we find the template for what it looks like to love the brethren. This is going to be the focus of our entire uh, message next week. As I said already, we're going to say, how do we love the brethren? We're going to talk through those things together. So we don't necessarily need to linger on the point today, but let's just lay out for us to meditate on throughout the week a couple of things. If you're curious what loving the brethren ought to look like, are you doing it? What should it look like? How can, that be, how, how can it be manifest properly? Well, do this. this. This is the exercise for you to do this week. This is your homework. Take what God did for you in Christ. Take what God is still doing for you in Christ. And say, is the spirit of what God did for me, that kind of selflessness, that kind of forgiveness, that kind of patience, that kind of that, that kind of deliberate reaching out to me that God does when I'm straying. He reaches out and he compels me back to him. Uh, he's patient with me when I'm struggling. Uh, he, uh, he, he's patient with me when I'm, when I'm complaining. Is that kind of love that God has shown to me apparent in my life toward others? And specifically in 1 John Toward the brethren. Obviously, we're not talking about paying for sin, right? You're not asking yourself whether you've gone to the cross for anyone lately. You're not asking whether or not you can pay for anyone's sin because you can't. You know you can't. But it will mean that you're absorbing wrongs just as Jesus absorbed wrongs. It will mean that you are pouring into others out of the abundance of that which you have as Jesus did. It will mean forgiveness. It will mean long-suffering. It will mean sacrifice. It will mean generosity. Not because we can walk through a simple checklist in the Bible on the matter, but because this is what Jesus has done for you. And Jesus is not just your Savior. 
Jesus did not just say, believe on me. Jesus said, follow me. He's not just your savior. He's your example. He didn't just walk the path for us. He walked the path and he left his footprints behind so we could walk it behind him. Herein is love. Not that we love God. Our love for God is only the after effect of what Christ has already done for us. Love is not defined by our efforts toward God. Love is defined by His efforts toward us. And anything that we can give to one another, even to our very lives, will pale in comparison to what Christ gave to us. So this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. But in that God has so loved us, it is right, it is good, it is spiritually natural that you and I would love one another and that we would model what it means to love one another after the love that God has poured out toward us. Third point. First, love for the brethren is a natural product of walking in the Spirit. It's not carnally natural. It's not fleshly natural. But it is definitely spiritually natural for those that are walking in the Spirit. Second, love for the brethren will reflect God's love for us. If we are walking in the Spirit and that love for the brethren is being produced, it will look like the self-sacrificial, dedicated and determined love that God has shown to us in Christ. Third, Love for the brethren is how the world will see God in us. So we love the brethren for the Lord's sake because he's commanded us to. And we love the brethren for our brethren's sake because we need one another. And if I am pouring myself into you and you're pouring myself into me, it's going to be a pretty good time because all of our needs are met as we're pouring ourselves mutually into one another. But we don't just love the brethren for the Lord's sake and for the brethren's sake. We also love the brethren for the sake of those who are on the outside looking in. This is our memory verse for the month, right? John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So what do we read then in 1 John chapter 4, verses 12 through 16? No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen, and do testify, that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So John writes here, no man hath seen God at any time. Uh, this is a common theme that we find throughout the scriptures. God told Moses in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. John himself, this same John, John the Evangelist, wrote in his gospel in John chapter 1, verse 18, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared 
him. And notice that last bit there. So no man has seen God at any time. Good, yep, we get that now. But the idea of this second phrase, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. The idea here is that while no man has seen the very person of the Father of lights, Jesus is, as Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 describes him, the brightness of the Father's glory and the express image of the Father's person. Jesus said to Philip in John chapter 14 verse 9, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. These verses tell us that though we cannot and no man has seen the Father at any time, we have seen, if you will, a copy of him. We have seen his express image. The way that we understand who God is is by understanding who Jesus is. Because Jesus and the Father are one. And if you have seen Jesus, though you have not seen the actual person of the Father, you have seen everything that the Father is in the essence of Jesus Christ. Because He and His Father are one. When we see the manner in which Jesus lived, the manner in which He interacted, we see the Father. Because Jesus and the Father are one. And in this we find, we know that Jesus and the Father are two separate persons because Jesus and the Father are not the same, but they are one. If you've seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. From Jesus, we know everything we can possibly know about the Father. Everything that the Father wants us to know, He manifested in the person of His Son. And then Jesus tells us, to do the same. We are called Christians. The Christians were called Christians first at Antioch. The name Christian was a derogatory name. It was a name intended to mock those who were followers of Christ. Christian literally means the little Christs. And yet as the Christians heard this derogatory name intended to be a, a, a name of scorn and of mockery toward them, they liked it. Would that I could be just a little Christ. Would that I could be an expression of Jesus to others. Would that when people see me, they would see Jesus. Though, a man has, though, though no man has seen God, Christian, when you live out the love of Christ for all the world to see, the world is not just seeing you living something out. The world is seeing Jesus in you. And as you love one another, God dwells in you. God's love is directly manifest. It is exemplified into the minds and the hearts of those who see us. As we live out our lives, as we live out what God has done for us in our lives, we have seen and do testify. We, you have seen, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have seen that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We testify to others 
that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We know that we dwell in Him because He has given to us of His Spirit. And by this Spirit, we walk in Christ's love toward one another. And then through us, those who are outside looking in can see that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world because we are testifying it, not just in our lips, but in the way that we live one toward another. So that as we love the brethren... The world sees that love and they know that what they're actually seeing is Jesus. And it testifies to them of God's love that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And this leads us to our final point this evening. First, love for the brethren is a natural product of walking in the Spirit. Second, love for the brethren will reflect God's love for us. Third, love for the brethren is how the world will see God in us. And fourth and finally, excuse me, love spiritually exhibited produces confidence unto joy. And in this, I bring us back to John's initial purpose in the book. These things write we unto you, 1 John 1 verse 4 says, that your joy may be full. So we read in verses 17 through 21, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this, this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hated his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. We've talked several times over the past several weeks in various contexts about the word perfect. It does not mean without flaw. It does not mean sinless in our Bibles. It means finished or complete, having all that is necessary unto its nature or kind. What makes our love complete? What perfects our love? What makes our love what it ought to be, what God would have it to be among the brethren? Jesus perfects our love. And as we love as Jesus loves, we exhibit perfect love. As I love as Jesus loves me, as I love you the way Jesus loves me, I will have boldness on the day of judgment. I will have boldness that I have accomplished in my life three essential tasks. First, I have made full proof of my appreciation for God's love toward me. Second, I have obeyed God's command by elevating the brethren in love. Third, I have testified to the world around me of love by loving the brethren. I have honored God, I have honored my brother, and I have shown to the world a testimony of Christ. And I have done all three of those things as I have in the Spirit loved my brethren. I've obeyed God's commands, I've uh, I've, I've exhorted and helped my brethren and I have testified of him to the world that is around me. And in that, when I get to the day of judgment, I can hold my head up. I don't need to be in fear. 
There is no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. If I am living in that love, if that love is perfected in me, there is no fear of that day. Because in that day I have done what Christ has asked me to do. And that brings joy. That brings joy. Say, Pastor, it doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun to pour myself into others. You know, we're kind of in this age of consumerism and this age of me. It's a narcissistic age. It's a selfish age. It's a, it's a consumeristic age. It's an it's a immediate gratification age. And here you are preaching that the ideal is that I'm going to set myself aside as Jesus did for me and pour myself into others. That doesn't sound like fun. That doesn't sound like it's going to make me happy. Try it and see. You know what you'll find? Joy. You'll find joy. How do I know that? Because if you're walking in the Spirit, and that's what it takes to produce this kind of love, if you are obeying Christ's commands, if you're confessing, if if your sins are confessed, you're walking in the Spirit, you're abiding in Christ, He is producing in you this love, and He's also producing love. Uh, Not just love, excuse me. He's also producing joy. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5 tells us, is first, love. Second, joy. Those are the first two of the fruit of the Spirit. So give it a shot. And what you'll find is that what the world tells you is happiness, self-gratification, self-indulgence, is actually like cotton candy. Tastes good for a moment and then it's emptiness. But when you do it God's way, when you invest as God has called you to invest, when you love the brethren as God has called you to love, walking in the Spirit, you will Find joy. As I love, I'm delivered not only from resentment, not only from anger and the like, but I'm delivered from fear. I need not fear the day of judgment if I live in determined love, because in determined love I am fulfilling all that Christ has asked of me. Paul testified in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. What a blessed truth that through love I am perfected. Through love I am delivered from fear. I'm delivered from shame. I'm delivered from guilt. I'm delivered from these weights. And I am instead, it is replaced with the confidence that I am living as Jesus lived. And as I'm drawing close to Jesus, I will love what he loves and I will hate what he hates. And it draws me into a place of rightness, of separation, of sanctification, of righteousness, of obedience, and of joy. Because I'm loving him. And I'm loving him because he first loved me. Now, as we think on these things, we admit that love is not necessarily easy. And that's because people aren't lovable. And Christians happen to be people. 
You don't automatically become lovable when you become a Christian. But that isn't what this is about. Thank God, Jesus didn't only love the lovable. Because if Jesus only loved the lovable, we'd all be in fear this evening of judgment. Because none of us would make the cut. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us why it is that Jesus came and expressed his love toward us. Excuse me, not 2, 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. There we go. Hebrews 12, verse 2 tells us why Jesus did this. Notice what Hebrews 12, 2 says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross. And the idea of him despising the shame means he thought very little of the shame. He didn't allow the shame to hold him back from this. He saw the shame of the cross and he said, that's no big deal. I can take that shame for the thing that comes after it, for the joy that is set before me. That shame is nothing. It is little. It is, it, it, it is insignificant in comparison to what God has promised on the other side of that shame. Jesus chose to place his love on you, not because you were lovely. Jesus chose to place his love on you, not because you were naturally lovable. Jesus chose to place his love on you first and naturally because it is the character of God to love his creation, but second and consequently because what was placed before him in loving you was the joy of being exalted to the right hand of God the Father. Jesus went to the cross in love because the path of the cross in love was the path to fullness of joy. You don't love me because I'm lovable. You love me because that's the path of obedience unto joy. I don't love you because you're lovable. It helps when we're lovable. It helps when we're nice people. It helps when we get along with one another. It helps when we kind of have that natural thing where we connect with one another. It makes it a whole lot easier to love one another, but that's not a condition. You love me for the joy that is set before you. You love me for the joy that is set before you as you walk in the spirit that you may have that joy. You love me for the joy of being a testimony to the world around you of the love that Jesus Christ has shown unto you. You love me for the joy of obedience. And I love you for the same. What was placed before Jesus was the joy of being exalted to the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus went to the cross in love because that was the cross to joy, uh, the, the path to joy. And what we need to understand is that the path to fullness of joy for us is no different than the path of fullness of joy that Christ tread. Jesus said, follow me for a reason. We don't just follow Jesus into his sacrifice. We don't just follow Jesus into his shame. We also follow Jesus into his victory. We follow Jesus into his inheritance. We follow Jesus into his joy. That's what is set before him. That's what is set before us. That's why the shame, that's why the the sorrow, that is why the cross is endurable. That is why you can stand to love me. 
for the joy that is set before you. The joy of obedience. The joy of service. The joy of inheritance. The joy of hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The joy of testimony. And this is what we all want, is it not? The key to joy is certainly not self. You're not going to find joy in your bank account. You're not going to find joy in your travels. You're not going to find joy in your direct earthly relationships. You're not going to find joy in entertainment. Those things might bring you happiness for a time. Those things might get you things that you want, which might satisfy for a moment. But none of them can bring you joy. An abiding peace and contentment that transcends circumstances. Stuff won't do it. Morality won't do it. Living a moral life can't produce joy. Religious devotion cannot produce joy. Love, obedience, spirituality, walking in the Spirit produces joy. So John says, if a man says he's living in love toward God, but is not living in love toward his brother, he's lying. If you love God, you'll keep his commandments. If you are loving God, if you are in the act of loving God, then you're keeping his commandments and you're confessing your sin. If you're keeping his commandments and confessing your sin, then you are in, then you're abiding in Christ. If you're abiding in Christ, you're walking in the Spirit. If you're walking in the Spirit, you are producing in, it is, uh, then, then, then in you is being produced the fruit of the Spirit and you will be loving the brethren. If you're not loving the brethren, then you're not walking in the Spirit. If you're not walking in the Spirit, you're not abiding in Christ. If you're not abiding in Christ, then you are not keeping His commandments or living in confession of sin. You are separated from God in that way. You are walking in darkness and not in light. So if you say you are loving God, but you are not loving your brother, then you're lying to yourself. Because the fruit of your life manifest the fact that you are not living in an active, loving relationship, that kind of relationship with God. It doesn't mean you don't love God in the salvation way. It doesn't mean you're not saved, right? We've talked about that ad nauseum in 1 John. It doesn't mean you're not a believer. It simply means that you are not expressing a love for God actively in your life. And if you're not expressing an active love for God in your life, there is something spiritually wrong with you. And I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty, But Lord willing, the Spirit of God can say, yes, you're not actively loving God and He can put His thumb on the thing in your life that needs to be changed so that you can. Obey His commandments. Confess your sin. Do those things. Those are the things whereby we are in an active, close relationship with Christ. Confess your sin. Forsake it. Keep God's commandments. You're abiding in Christ. You're abiding in Christ. You're walking in the Spirit. You're walking in the Spirit. His Spirit will produce in you His fruit. His fruit is Love. Love for God, love for the brethren. His fruit is joy. And also long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. All pretty good things. How can a man live in love? How can the man live in a love for God whom he has not seen if he cannot even love his brother whom he has seen? How can you love the unseen God if you do not love the seen 
brother in Christ. So, as I mentioned, next week we're going to ask the great elephant in the room, the burning question, what does loving the brethren look like? What, what will it look like when, when the Spirit of God is producing this love in me? We're going to talk about that next week. It's, there's a lot there. Maybe it'll take a couple weeks. I don't know. Come ready to work, though. It's going to be a doozy of a sermon one way or the other. Come ready to listen. But for this week, we rest on the principle Our love toward God is an extension of God's love toward us. The template for this love toward others is God's love toward us. Our love toward others is an extension of God's love toward us. And when we live out this love, we honor God, we bless the brethren, we testify of Christ to the unbeliever, and all the more so, When we do so, we position ourselves on the path of Christ and that path is the path to that thing which 1 John 1 tells us is ours if we want it, if we will choose to abide in it, the path to fullness of joy. Thank you for listening to Pastor Jamin Wickler from Legacy Baptist Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. More information about Legacy Baptist Church and a library of sermons are available at www.legacybaptistchurch.net.